Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. This is the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Relentless Boats, and it is episode 57. Kyler and I are here, and this week we have some new news, actually. Um, So if you follow along on the Louisiana Bowhunter community page on Facebook, you'll see that there was a uh, a Louisiana Bowhunter follower named Wesley Miller that killed a absolute stud of a louisiana buck a really and truthfully a deer that's you know at least especially by score wise um bigger than we typically see in the state of louisiana so sure we got him um we got him coming up on the podcast to kind of tell the story about uh, about that deer and and their management practices and obviously uh you know there's two ways that you kill a deer that big you either get really lucky because you didn't know he existed and you're hunting somewhere be it public private as a guest somewhere or whatever it is and the deer is just there and you didn't know it and it was just your day and it was a lottery ticket or you're you know you're managing private property for big bucks and you're fortunate enough to get one that gets old enough and grows those kind of horns and in this case uh wesley is hunting some private land that's been in his family for a long time so we talked a little bit about some of their practices in terms of management and and how they're going about trying to grow bigger older bigger deer and and how and obviously the story of him taking that that buck and and how that that played out so um here we are kyler it is the first week of december and you know you and i were on the phone (laughs) earlier today (laughs) talking about some other stuff and 
you made a comment about something and then you realized that you thought it was the, like in, in the moment you were kind of like, oh, wait, never mind. It's December, not November. Yeah. And uh, and I made the comment, well, I wish we could just go back and do it all over again. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I, I disagree. I, I would I, if, if, I wish I could fast forward to November every uh, every year, really? except for years that I'm yeah. I, as far as deer hunting goes, I think I said this in the past. November's never been a highlight month for me whatsoever, um, and uh, y- you know the only exception would be like if I if I crank back into duck season in the future, then I, I would uh, retract that statement about fast forwarding through November. But man, in, in historical terms, I could skip through November because there's not a lot of action that happens down here. But more recently. <laughs> you know spent a lot of times in the time in the woods in the midwest didn't see much um very slow time up there same same thing with you up uh, up in the midwest as well um i'm i'm i cannot wait for the rain the cold the north winds and the rut yeah that happens kind of so, the next couple of weeks i agree with that in terms of deer hunt just the just the hunting itself the 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 preparation the planning the the hunts that you're able to make your yeah i guess your purpose behind the hunts that you're making um the the situation as far as how it unfolds in the woods is much better but for me and this kind of highlights something that that we talk about on this podcast a lot i mean with you and i doing this podcast we are the same in our passion but we're two different hunters you are a more of a mobile setup public land style hunter i am more of a calculated set private land hunter and what i'm getting around to with that is so first of all going back to what you said this year's an anomaly because neither one of us had a good hunt um i had a good hunt at the end of october kind of leading into november but typically for about two weeks in november be it you know however it falls i'm usually traveling so i get to make some of my more exciting hunts in the month of november they're not in louisiana or in the south but you know so i'm typically getting to go on those destination hunts in november but also i'm a creature of habit and being a private land guy when november rolls around deer camp seems to be in full force and while the hunting in the woods isn't good it just feels like you know that deer camp vibe is going on every weekend and there's football on every weekend and it's just the time of the year it's more so the time of the year for me than it is the hunting the actual sit in the stand Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah it's more like the lifestyle mm -hmm. kicking off i I I agree because in november it, it has that feeling like it feels like you're so much in the middle of it that it's not that that it's like that doesn't feel like there's an end in sight and then the calendar rolls to december and you start realizing oh it's only a couple weeks till christmas and then once christmas comes new year's is the next week and then after new year's you're on the downside of the season and before you know it it's over with and so it just feels like the end is starting to slowly show up on the horizon and i don't feel Mm -hmm. that way in november in november i feel like well i'll hunt him another day i'll i'll figure him out next week it just feels like time is just going to go on and on and on and then, like I said, then that calendar flips to December and you start to realize, well, I better figure him out pretty quick because yeah. I actually don't have that much time left. It's going to be gone. I'm halfway done. So it's more yeah. of that. that. I guess that's my point about November. But uh, that, and I'd like a redo on the whole Midwest trip. You and I have talked at length about. <laughs> I've, True. I haven't had too many 
trips up there that were were uh, that that went much worse. I, I say worse. I mean, nothing bad happened, but just in terms of the hunting, it was just under underwhelming. Yeah, that's it all. Was. Well, yeah. it's an anticipation thing. You look forward to it. You prepare for it. You mentally prepare for it, and you're just you're so amped up about it. And I've had and and look, I I'll be um, the first to say that I don't mean necessarily in terms of filling a tag or killing a deer i've had trips to the midwest where i came home and yes there was that burning sensation of i sure wish i would have actually gotten a deer but man i was you know chock block action from from the go the whole time and it was worth it and i enjoyed it and i can't wait to go back and this year you come home and you think man i wish i'd have went another week or I wish I'd have tried some, yeah. something else. I don't know if anything else would have worked, but I wish I'd have tried something else because what I did did not work. You know, um, that kind of thing. So, well, one one of the things that we've started doing this year that <clears throat> or this season I, I, that I really look forward to now, um, and we didn't really plan this. Just kind of where the conversation goes for these intros now is, you know, we talk about, you know, what do we see last weekend? Have you hunted since last podcast? Did you do any good? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and I've had, since the last recording, I've had a couple of interesting experiences that were noteworthy. One of them happened yesterday, and the other one was on Saturday. Um, so Saturday, I got invited to hunt in Mississippi with a friend of mine named Taylor Sledge that owns, uh, they, they, have a, they have a section of land, it's 1,500 acres, um, and it was it was one of those things where um, you know this time of year and like the last two months is the time period where we all um, are kind of guilty of hollow invitations. Like, hey man, we should we should make a hunt this year. Oh yeah, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and and then you know some people like really bite hard into that and they just sit by their phone waiting for that text message and then other people are like yeah man and you should come to my place <laughs> and then like yeah. neither we never hunt ever together. Yeah. Well, Taylor had invited me months ago. Hey, we need to get together for a hunt this year. And then he followed up like a few weeks ago. And then he followed up on uh, Friday. And he's like, hey, tomorrow afternoon, meet me at my camp up here and, and, um, and uh, you know, we'll make a hunt. So we did that. And um, he I, – I, I didn't have any, any qualifying questions. I wasn't like, oh, tell me about your property. What deer can I kill? You know, I was just like, yeah, man, I'd love to come make a hunt with you. I really appreciate it. And I showed up, and he goes, well, you can only kill a doe. <laughs> and I was like <laughs> – uh i'm doed out bro <laughs> you yeah. know like i don't i don't need any more doe meat uh like i'm good i was like how about i you know i kill i shoot a doe for you you know i don't need i'm only hunting bucks the rest of the season and i there there were no other hints given to me of what it was like hunting on his property but he was very adamant he was like look nothing against you because we don't let people shoot bucks here the first couple of hunts because we've had some experiences like giving free range to people in the past you know you kind of earn a buck program if you will and i was like all right sounds good so he gives me these three options of where to hunt he asked me to bring my my mobile set um and uh and so i picked one of the options was on a ridge top and i set up and it was um he dropped me off at the end of the trail at, at 2.30, and at 3.21, I walked, uh, I don't know, 800 yards down this logging road, and I found a good spot to 
hang a stand on the top of a ridge with a couple of draws coming from a couple of different directions coming up to the ridge and there were some feed trees on top of the ridge and um one of the trees it was one of those classic examples of like there's eight oak trees but they're only eating one mm-hmm. you know only one of them looks like it's had in any any activity underneath it and um 3:43 it was like they lifted the gates to the deer <laughs> okay it was like it was like they had hit the the open open the cell uh, button and and here come i heard very clearly burp burp like very clearly from like 60 or 75 yards away to, to my two o'clock and i was like that was definitely a buck i saw a doe running towards me and then it ran away and it ran towards me again and behind her was a small eight and behind him was a a, a very nice 10 point um like a very nice 10 point and to make a long story short i saw 18 deer that sit in an hour and a half and i don't get to hunt a whole lot of private you know, I kind of by choice, I, I, I'm a glutton for punishment. I like that publicly and stuff. And so, like, that's not a normal occurrence, if you will. And I saw eight different bucks. One of them was at least four and a half. One of them was at least five and a half. The five and a half year old was a, a big 10 as well. And then a couple of three and a half and two year old bucks. And then I, and the rest of it were, were does, 10 different does. I ended up shooting a doe textbook like absolute perfection shot and she did her job as a deer she ran to the absolute lowest point of that property um which is <laughs> uh, you know as as a deer it's like a kamikaze pilot like if you're out of bullets you just <laughs> you just yeah. crash into the ship <laughs> you know you go down as far as you can into the ravine and then that's like the the final f you to the deer hunter is to be at the absolute bottom and um and so we drug it out and you know i gave taylor to deer because they hadn't taken many does that season and that was a that was so much fun like it, we weren't hunting over feed. Um, the cool part about this section was they had just picked it up. I think it was this year and nobody had hunted it before. Like nobody had hunted that section. I think it was like 80 acres was the block that I was on. And when he, when he was like, you can hunt here. This is on the backside of the food plot. You can hunt here. This is on a field edge. And then, oh yeah, nobody's hunted over here this year. I was like, I'll take that one. <laughs> like I'll, I'll go, I'll go option C. And man, I just had a blast. And it was so cool because, as he told me when we got back to the camp, those deer were unaltered in their behavior. Like, they were it, it, they were allowed to be deer. They acted like deer. They ran around and played. The does were frolicking around. Some of the yearlings were literally bouncing and hopping around, Mom. Um, and... It was just a cool experience, man. Um, I really enjoyed it, and it, and I actually thought about you while I was in the sand. I was like, I, I feel like this is maybe what Locke grew up hunting in in Mississippi along the river. Maybe this is like a common sight for for him, you know. But well, I don't. I, it I don't, was a treat. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I don't think I have. I have been fortunate enough to be able to hunt a lot on a lot of property similar. Sounds like to that where there's a, a lot of deer, but. To be honest with you, even on some of the best places I've hunted, um, in Louisiana, Mississippi, in the Midwest, wherever, to see 
multiple mature bucks and and eight rack bucks in one hunt is never <laughs> that can never it be taken crazy. for granted. That that yeah. just doesn't happen. I mean, I, I've had that happen a time or two, and 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 share the same um, sort of uh, feeling about it. It it's a special it's special to see that no matter what. And yeah, it it is. Uh, you know, to your point, it's one of that that experience right there that you had. I guess this brings up a really interesting um, thing between the two of us and our our dynamic as as being kind of opposing in terms of philosophy and style. Um, You know, what you experienced there is the adrenaline. It's the drug that makes you want to manage property and makes you want to pursue that quiet, undisturbed, private ground and not deal with, with pressure and not deal with other people. And it's, 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 it's that drug because to your point it is you know it 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 is a more common occurrence in that scenario in that setting but it's not all the time but it's never in the other setting you know i mean it's it's once in a lifetime that you're going to go on a public piece of ground and be there at the perfect time in the perfect spot and see that kind of activity it's just not going to happen it doesn't mean you can't kill big deer it doesn't mean you can't be consistently successful on public ground but you're not going to see 10 different does and eight rack bucks, multiple mature bucks, see rutting activity, see, you know, doe to fawn relation type activity. You're not going to see all that in one hunt on public ground. And and so, and you're not going to see it every time you hunt on private ground, regardless of how no, no, good no. it is. But it is the drug because to your point, when you grow up hunting that and you, and you experience it enough times and you start to put two and two together and realize, if I want to see this more often than not or or just more often, the only way to do that is to find a way to keep an area quiet, keep it undisturbed, and hunt it a certain way so that these deer will act like deer. You know, to, mm-hmm. to, to kind of coin your phrase, these deer are acting like deer. They're not acting like the prey animals that are being stalked half to death for nine months out of the year. You yeah, know, Sneak, um, sneaking, <laughs> sneaking around everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, on pins and needles. Where there's only well, um, two or three days of the year that they're just stupid enough to act normal, which is what you're dealing with when you're talking about weather. And, and look, this can, we can, what we're talking about can also translate very much into the large lease with lots of members and lots of hunting pressure. It's no different than public Oh, abs- yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, absolutely. It's actually worse in some cases because people have so much more access in that scenario than they do on public ground. I mean, public ground, they have to work for it a little bit, even though it's open to everybody, it's not as accessible as the deer camp, you know, um, it's, it's, I would say, and I guess you can attest to this better than I, I don't, I, I have plenty of public land experience. I just don't do it regularly. So I know what I've experienced in the past. Most people that hunt public ground, they do their scouting, you know, yeah, they do that, but they go in, they hunt, they go out. Right, I mean, they're there to hunt. That's why they're there accessing that public ground, um, for, by a majority. I'm I'm speaking, you know. And so mm-hmm. people they do their scouting and then they go in, they make their hunts, they leave. You go to the deer camp. Guy makes a hunt and then he comes back to the camp and he eats something. And he gets bored and he gets on his four wheeler and goes and checks the camera and rides around, looks for another spot to hunt. And it's yep. it's recreation all day until he gets ready to go sit on a stand again. And so mm-hmm. you just it's just deer pressure constantly. Well, the the other, the other quick story I had. This was uh, unrelated to the last one. Just something I experienced yesterday. So today's Wednesday. This was on Tuesday. So I, um, we were rained down on Sunday, 
and then we had this, we've had this huge cold front move through in the last few days. And um, I decided that I was going to hunt Monday afternoon and Tuesday afternoon. Um, and I hung a stand Monday. I left it overnight. And um, and I came back and hunted it on Tuesday afternoon. And um, this spot that I've been hunting, um, I've, I've had this, this system, this, this uh, strategy since day one or b- before bow season started, which is uh, essentially um, imagine a CRP slash reforested area that's to the west of a very, very, very large 800-yard wide swamp. Um, like Cypress Tupelo Swamp that's been dry most of the year and then it recently filled up with about a foot of water, which makes it for a very slow walk across, very slow wade across right now. And so uh, if if I have any northwest or southwest wind, I can hunt the transition line between those two um, uh, types types of terrain. And that's where I killed a couple of my does early season. That's where I've seen a lot of bucks. And, um, so I hunt it Monday afternoon and I see a buck, I have a buck at four 30 that, um, comes kind of downwind of me, but was unbothered by it. Um, he moved through kind of quick and then ended up skirting around me and I could have shot him a couple of times at 35 yards, but he was just a small eight point. Like I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of to the point right now where I'm like, man, you're going to, I can't wait to see you next year. Mm-hmm. You know, not like a holier than thou, like, Oh, let him, let him walk type of attitude. But, but like, eh, you're a nice deer. You would be, you're not worth the drag across and I can't wait to see you next year type of thing, you know? Um, and also the fact that, Hey, I know there's bigger deer in here than you. And, um, so he, he moved on through and then I had two more deer come out at dark and I, I couldn't tell what they were. So I go back on Tuesday, park the four wheeler. I start my walk across a swamp from the four wheeler trail and about 50 yards into the woods, I jump a doe and doe is like up against this kind of Creek ditch, whatever. And she jumps up, runs 20 yards in front of me. She's, she's at my, about my, uh, 10 o'clock and stops and looks at me stairs and stairs and stairs and stairs and and it's cold so i'm wearing bibs hip boots i um i use my lineman's belt as a bow strap so i have my bow slung over my shoulder kind of like a, a satchel if you will and then i have my ptarmigan jacket like in my bow sling to where so like i don't look like a human i look like a fat sasquatch (laughs) yeah i look like a sasquatch i look i look like a big fat up like weird shaped object like i don't look like like a human you know and um and i have a backpack on so i don't look you know straight up and down you know uh type of type of animal and it looks at me and look i walk within 30 yards of this doe twice and she would scurry 50 yards ahead, and then she would lit- literally look back and wait on me. And then I would walk within 25 or 30 yards of her, and she would scamper another 100 yards ahead, 50 yards ahead, whatever. Long story short, this doe quite literally <laughs> guided me, and I'm not exaggerating, guided me straight to my deer stand. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> like like a siren to a sailor okay like like you know like just like hey come follow me this way okay and i have three or four videos of her running 50 yards ahead stopping looking back trotting another 10 yards stopping looking back trotting another 30 yards and she never did that classic you know deer bolt like mm-hmm flight like gtfo gotta run out of here everything was this just kind of casual jog through the the water in the marsh it was the strangest thing um you know what i'm taking from this that bigfoot exists yeah exactly that's it sasquatch is real there's there's no Mm -hmm. doubt that he lives there and she's used to seeing him and she just thought you were him now I'm terrified. Thank you for crossing that swamp <laughs> in the dark. Yeah, she she clearly thought that I was her buddy, and and yeah, exactly. But it was it was a really interesting experience, and like I know we we've all heard and, and we know that deer are curious animals, um, but uh, I, I guess maybe I just was non-threatening, in a sense. Um, and uh, I also I don't know this for a fact, but I know that there's a lot of people that hunt this public land. And I know that there's nobody else that is approaching this section of the woods the way that I am this way. Like, go, like this is the this is the hard way across. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wish it would rain and raise about raise that place about another foot because then I could piro across. But until then, I'm I'm halfway up to my shin on every step. Yeah. Um, but it was an interesting experience. Well, it, it really it, was. It could also be that whole you know that whole dynamic or. I don't know if dynamic's the right word, but it's somehow they like animals that you're hunting, whether it's a deer or a turkey or anything. She knew you were doed out. She knew you weren't going to shoot another doe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm she... telling you, man, if you decide, you know what? I'm shooting an armadillo. I'm tired of seeing them. Those suckers will spot you from 100 mm-hmm. yards away and take off. The same armadillo that'll let you walk up to it and kick it when you don't want to waste <laughs> yeah, an arrow. Exactly. It's like they yeah, just that's know. That's a good point. Animals just Yeah, that's know. interesting. Well, I so. I I didn't um not to de- to beleaguer the conversation any longer before we we get to Wesley, but I, I don't have a ton of of story. I, I I guess the best thing that's happened to me, you know, since we were last on is my my I've been hunting with my son a lot. He's been able to shoot two deer um in this in the last week and and um a small seven point, which really was not a small deer, just didn't have a lot of horns. And, um, what was supposed to be a doe and ended up being a button buck. He, he's, he's still young and shoots quick and didn't look and I couldn't see the deer. And he told me it was a doe and I told him to go ahead and shoot. And, uh, it was not a doe, but anyway, (laughs) um, you know, uh, that's, that's been fun. I've made a few hunts and I've seen a few deer, but no, no, no real story to tell it. That I, ha- I, I hunt in Area 4 in East Feliciana, as people that listen know, uh, as far as where I hunt at home. And and I will say that the the rut calendar seems to be kind of holding the way it should. Um, it's always around Thanksgiving that things start to get going. And um, there's a lot of fresh buck sign in the woods. The deer that my, that my son killed on Saturday, he was not following a doe, but he was cruising and his hocks were black. He stunk. He made a scrape and peed in it and it smelled like, you know, like rutten buck. And, um, I'm seeing a lot of that kind of sign going in, you know, the last couple of days I've hunted 
you know some afternoon hunts and stuff and so the deer are definitely getting started the full moon i think is is kind of a problem most of the movement especially um on property more like mine i guess what i'm trying to say is i guess in some places where really high deer density you see more deer you know the weather is offset a little bit but in a in a place like where i'm hunting where you got to hunt a little harder you know, I think the the movement is mostly not seeing a ton of deer on the road after dark and before daylight. And my wife actually came home a while ago, uh, had went and picked the, the kids up from, from Wednesday night church. And, and they saw uh, a really big buck coming out of our property right down the road from our, from our house. And so uh, I'm seeing deer on my way to work early in the morning. I think the full moon is, uh, is got that going, but the good thing is that we're on the downside of that and so we got good weather forecast so i would tell people just very generally i would expect some really good deer hunting over the next seven to ten days because this moon yeah. phase we're gonna the moon phase is gonna shift to, to to being more lend itself to more daylight movement and the rut's starting to go so you really ought to be you know this should be the time of the year where you're gonna start seeing bucks on their feet uh, whether it be on camera or from the stand so uh, the only one little funny i will tell you that my my son shot the buck saturday morning and uh he was sound asleep the deer comes walking right by us 15 yards this is not a bow hunting story but um he shoots the deer and it takes off running towards the neighbor's property and there's a guy over there hunting and i heard him drive in at daylight on his four-wheeler well, I, the deer goes across a little bayou slough that's full of water from all the rain, and it crashes, and I, I didn't really hear it come out, but I, I could hear a bunch of commotion over there. Well, we start packing our stuff up to get down, and the man hollers, Hey, I got your deer! <laughs> <laughs> the deer ran. There's a bo- an old barbed wire fence through the woods. The deer basically ran into the fence and died right there. And so we, oh, man. we didn't even have to trail it. The guy's like, I don't even worry about looking for blood. I got it. Just come over here. And it was... There's hey, bad at all. Nice man. He he had his four wheeler right there, and we, you know, so I didn't have to drag it. He said, "I'm gonna drag it up to my house. Just come around here and pick it up." Nice. So, uh, That's yeah. good service right there, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. So we hooked it up to the four wheeler, and he headed up to the house, and we went on back and got in my truck and drove around and picked it up. So. Very nice. Anyway, uh, so that's look, good. What, look, one, one, more, one thing, I've been meaning to say this for a couple episodes, and every week it just gets proven more and more and more, but what's up with all the south winds, man? Man, I don't know. Our weather, you know, and this, this goes back to, 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 to our hunts in the Midwest. The weather this year has it's been good the last couple of days, but, I mean, it, it, and it, I don't know if you recall it this way, but to me there was – there was some good days in October, and then, sure, you know, there was a little cold front in late October, and then basically all of November has just been crap. It's just been south wind. It's south wind, south wind, south wind, southeast wind, southwest I mean, was, wind, south wind. It was seventies yeah. pushing eighty for like three weeks. Yeah, with south wind. Yeah, it, yeah every it, whenever I had time to hunt, it's like I gotta find. Oh, I gotta freaking find a south wind spot again. Great, yeah. perfect. A lot of it, you know. It's, yeah. Yeah, so, well, look, um, let's not push it any longer. Let's go ahead and hear from Wesley. Before we do, let me tell you really quick about our presenting sponsor of the podcast, Relentless Boats. I've been telling you um, on the podcast for weeks now that there's a lot of exciting things coming, and I'm going to give you a little bit of that information here before we go to talk to Wesley. And so starting in in 2021, um, Relentless Boats uh, is kind of streamlining, streamlining, 
a little bit of what they're doing, and there's going to be uh, four main series of boats, the Bayou Series, the Marsh Series, the Hunt Series, and the Sportsman Series. And so uh, if you're looking at possibly getting into a new boat in 2021, um, there's going to be a lot of customizable options. Um, you can do that through the dealers or through Relentless Boats. But just be be watching the website, RelentlessBoatsLA.com, and you'll find out more information on um, the different options, the different features of these different series. So basically, Relentless is going to go to to kind of a, an approach where you got four different series of boats that kind of have some primary um, uh, designs, engineering designs to them, and then you'll build out from there with all the different features that you know you you would expect from a hunting, fishing, southern Louisiana custom boat builder. So um, that's a little bit of a, a insight into what's going on, and a lot of exciting things coming, and we sure appreciate their support. So um, let's go and talk to Wesley and find out about his deer. All right, Wesley Miller joins me on the podcast. Wesley, how how's it going, man? Man, it's going it's going wonderful. I couldn't be any better. Well, you you're doing better than than some people because uh, you you've recently um, been able to 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 get a deer that you know you just don't see at least by score anyway. You you don't see a lot of deer score that high out of Louisiana. So is is that your best deer? I'm I'm assuming your best deer in the state. That that is my best deer in the state. I previously had a 172. I killed about five years ago, and I, I thought I'd never kill a bigger one. Well, I can understand why you would have thought that. And this one was 177, correct? Uh, it was scored 177 by one guy and 178 by a Buckmaster score. Okay. Well, official we'll get, score. We're going to go with the higher score either way. So, All right. <laughs> so um, I guess let's start off. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, uh, I know you're up in Webster Parish. Um, is that your your home, That where you're from? That, that's, that's my home. Um the the farm I killed the, the deer off of has been in my family for a hundred years. Uh, we've always lived there, always hunted there. Um, I'm a registered nurse. I work at a small re- rehabilitation hospital in Bossier. Um, I'm a, so I'm a full time nurse. I'm also a full time uh, crappie guide. I, 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 my guide service is called Big Sasquatch Outdoors, and uh, I, I I guide fishing trips every day. I'm not uh, hunting. Awesome. I mean, not working, not nursing. So have you been bow hunting your whole life, or is that something you started doing as an adult? Or I started bow hunting when I was about 15 years old. Okay. Well, um, you mentioned y- y'all got a family farm. Obviously, uh, I'm, I'm assuming if you're killing 170 inch deer on it, y'all are y'all are managing the property pretty well. Is that something y'all we, are digging? About, about 10 or 12 years ago, we really started managing. It took me a couple of years to get everybody on board, but I pretty much got everybody on board now, and um we, we, we've been doing well. We had never have killed anything this big before, but we kill nice deer every year. Yeah, so I guess just kind of briefly, what is your management strategy? Give me a little bit of a rundown on how your farm lays out. What, what are we looking at in terms of landscape and terrain, and um, what is your management it's strategy? A, the, the original farm is 800 acres. It's split up between about four family members now. My dad owns uh, 300 acres, and... Um, my uncle, his his land is across the interstate. He owns a couple hundred acres. The interstate I twenty cuts my family's farm in half. Um, it's old fields. We since planted all those in pine trees and some of them in oaks. So it's uh, and also this past year we had a tornado come through and it blew down forty acres of mature oak trees that I had. So we got a good mix of anything from oaks to pines to thickets. Just a just a real good good mix of hunting woods. So just typical. 
North Louisiana timber country. Sure. Wood country. Sure. Okay. So not agriculture and all that. Um, so what's, what, what's your general management strategy? On, on don't the shoot him unless you plan on putting him on the wall. Okay. Just and we, we don't shoot any. We try not to shoot any bucks until at least four years old. So four years old, and I'm assuming y'all y'all try to keep a some kind of census on how many does you want to take every year. And, no, and we, our, our way we we shoot, we try our best to shoot every mature doe we see. Mm-hmm. That's just the way we do it. You know, by the time we shoot a bunch, we shoot them. By the end of the year, we've generally killed a few more does, and we have bucks. And um, I, I have over the years have killed a bunch of my does, so I have a very um, um, pretty good ratio as far as buck doe ratio. I, I'm pretty close on one to one. Okay. And I, I think that's important. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I agree. Well, it it uh, it's good for the the herd health as well as as just your you know your ability to manage and hunt and and get what you want out of your hunting through your management. Sure. And also, I plant seven seven or eight acres of uh, of um, stuff year round. In the summertime, I have peas and I mean, soy and uh, sunflowers. In the winter, I'm doing oats and uh, turnips and clover. So I, I keep a good field planted year round. So let me ask you: This is kind of a, a coming off of a personal experience kind of thing. I just wonder: Do you find that the deer tend to stay off of the turnips and even to some extent the clover until later in the winter? Yes, I do, and and that's one of the main reasons I plant them. Is and the main reason I plant my food plot is not to hunt over it. We kill very few deer off the food plot. The food plot's there for the nutrition of the herd and to keep the herd in that area. Yeah, i i have uh, I have four hundred acres here at my house, and and I I spend more time doing land management stuff than I do hunting, to be honest, because I just enjoy it. It's quite by the house. I can jump on the tractor and do my thing, you know. For and sure. I'm the same way. I love getting on the tractor and riding around and doing stuff. It's great therapy. But I plant, For sure. I plant a lot of broadleaf stuff, and I've had a lot of people ask me, especially this time of the year, they come on the property, and they're like, man, how come nothing's eating this stuff? Because it's tall. And I said, man, you just got to wait till it starts to kind of turn purple and, and lay over. I've heard that those those plants, the turnips and radishes and that kind of stuff specifically, the sugar content in them gets a lot higher as they start to wilt and they get real tall. And I've just yep. found the deer. Now, they'll, they'll nip at them and stuff, but generally speaking, until they really get big and later in the year, they don't really eat them. Which, and that's good because you're planting oats and wheat and stuff like that for the earlier part of the year, and then you've got the broadleaf stuff for the later part of the year. I I, I do a lot of the same thing, so that's that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that you see kind of the same thing because for a long time I thought I'd plant them and I'd be like, man, ain't nothing eating them, you know, and, sure. I, and I couldn't figure it out because they're so pretty, you know, they grew so good. But uh, so um, tell me a little bit about what your um, what are you shooting as far as your bow setup? Uh, I got a Hoyt. Uh, it's, I can't remember the name of it. It's whatever the newest one that came out with. It's not the Carbon. It's the... Uh, let me see here. I got the it right Helix? here. It's the it's uh Axis Ultra. Okay. All right. Okay. Nice. I shoot a Hoyt too, so props to you on and, that. I know everybody uh, people tend to be brand loyal a little bit. You know, you kind of comfortable with what you like. I've shot Hoyt a long time. I love them. But, and just gold tip arrows. You know, yeah. I'm not real particular in all that kind of stuff. You shoot, I should be. You shoot uh fix fixed position or fixed heads or or expand no i shoot i shoot a rage okay well um i guess just if you if you don't mind tell us a little bit about this deer tell us a little bit about the story of how you 
you know, you managed him, how you hunted him, and, and eventually got him. Well, uh, last year we had a deer show up that was a uh, just a mainframe 10-point, but you could look at him on the pictures and tell he was three, three and a half years old. He was a little bitty body and had great big horns, for, you know, for his age. You know, we never have had one that was three years old that had horns like that. So I begged everybody. I was like, please do not shoot this deer. I didn't even hunt anywhere in the area that he lived last year. Just so I wouldn't mistakenly shoot him with a, you know, just, just cause I didn't want to see him. Yeah. So he made it through last year. And this year when we started with our trail cameras up in, in August, uh, we didn't get him for the first couple of weeks. And we we're like, we had this one nine point show up. And we're like, well, that can't be him. And then I finally get this one picture of him and he had just blown up from 130 inch to the 178 that he is now. I mean, it's unbelievable how much he, how much mass he put on and time length and everything else in a year. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we decided uh, to give him a go this year, and we've been hunting him pretty hard, and then finally uh, got caught up to him. Well, did you? What, is there any rut phase going on, or was it a feed pattern type deal? Or? No, it was a rut. About um, last Monday, um, the Monday before Thanksgiving. I had a friend of mine who went over and hunted on the property and he saw bucks chasing does everywhere. So I, um, I hunted, you know, a couple of days and then our, my work schedule got, my work got slow at the hospital. And, um, so I was able to hunt all last weekend and, um, just really hadn't, didn't really have a whole lot of daytime pictures. Hadn't nobody seen him. He was just pretty much a ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, Saturday, now to tell you the truth about how Saturday went, Saturday I killed a little doe and I went down and kind of found her in a creek bed and uh, down in some uh, tall pine trees. When I was down there in that, that creek bed, I saw a um, a run up through the woods where you could see it was the, the trees that I think that he would be rubbing. They were big yeah. trees. You know, you could just tell a mature buck had been rubbing them. So I just kind of kept that in my mind. And it was on the um, on our part of our property it was right by where all those the tornado blew down all those trees so it was a very thick area so i thought maybe he was laying up in those those trees so that that's how i ended up kind of figuring out where i thought he might be mm-hmm. but right after i killed that deer i went to my parents house and put it in the cooler and since it was a doe i was like well i can still eat and i on the way back to their house i saw two doe, two small bucks running the doe so i'm like they're chasing i'm gonna go get back here on my stand behind my dad's house so i get back there i hadn't sit in the stand two minutes 270 yards away from me on a pipeline a good buck came walking across and i made a very poor decision and a very good shot because i thought i was shooting a big buck and i was shooting our three and a half year old 11 point that did not need to die Mm. so it was just heartbreaking i damn near cried over it so right then and there i'm like i'm not picking up my rifle again i said i'm not gonna I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna shoot it again. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try. I said I'm just gonna hunt the rest of my season with a bow. I said if I, I'm at least with a bow, I'm not gonna mess up and shoot the wrong one. Yeah. So, uh, Monday morning rolled or Sunday afternoon, I went into that spot where I'd seen where I thought I'd seen sign, and I saw a couple of does, and it just looked like a good spot. So, Monday morning, I decided to go back to the same place. I got up early. I took my green soap shower. I took my climbing stand in the woods. I went up the same tree I had the day before. And it was cold. It was windy. And um, about 9.30, I look up, and about 
35, 40 yards from me. Here he comes walking through those woods. He come walking out one of those brush tops. So I ready myself, and he gets right up there, and he's going to walk through the first hole. When he gets ready to walk through the first hole, I try to draw back. My arrow falls off my string. Oh, man. So I get, I get everything back up. I get it back on the string. He walks about five or ten more yards. He comes out. He's going to come out from behind another bush. When I pull back that time, I get a half draw. My arrow falls off my string again, and as I'm letting down, I touch the trigger on my bow, and my bow dry fires. You know, half dry fires. So it made this big clanking, big swatting sound. You know, I just, I was just, I was just dying at that point. So he, he, the wind was blowing directly in my face, so he wasn't gonna smell me. But he jumped one time, and so the next time he was way to my right, and I was in a climbing stand. I have my safety harness on, so. If you're trying to shoot to the right and your right hand like that, it just doesn't work real well. Mm -hmm. So this time I pull my bow back. I get get the bow facing this direction. I make sure everything was on the string still. And I had to contort my body to get turned enough to get everything in, in the in the peep sight. And when I finally got everything where it's supposed to be, I had a, uh, about a 10-inch hole I could shoot through the, through the bushes. And it shot him just right behind the front shoulder. He... um. Went out there about 60 yards, stood there for a minute. I saw him do that wobble, and I saw him go down. So, Man. sometimes was, it's just meant to be, isn't it? It is meant to be. It was. It was that. It was that dude's day, wasn't it? It was. Sometimes it's just, you know, because whether it was a doe or a, or a trophy buck or anything, if that series of events happens, 99 times out of 100, the deer's gone. If gone. not completely gone, definitely out of bow range. For sure, you know, but that and that, you know, but I, I guess being just trying to imagine the story as you're telling it, that also kind of goes to 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 the to the idea that you can get away with a lot during the rut because those jokers are just so. I mean, I would imagine. I, I'm guessing you think he was probably just getting up and cruising, looking for does. Yes, you because know? my my older brother has a bow stand 300 yards from there, and he has a, he had a little corn pile out there and a little rice bran. 30 minutes before I killed him, that deer came by his stand and stood there for 20 minutes and ate corn. Mm -hmm. That was only the third daytime picture we'd ever had of the deer. Yeah. It was 30 minutes before he died, and he, he came straight towards me. I somehow happened to be jacked up the right right oak tree in the right place. Yep. It's but I was also, I've also started in the past couple of years, I found the higher I get, the more I can get away with. So I'm every time I'm getting in my climbing stand, I'm going 30 foot up. I've got my 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 pull ropes about thirty five foot long. So by the time I get to where I'm about to end of my pull rope, I know I'm at about thirty feet. And I found that if I get it thirty feet, I can get away with a lot of stuff. Hmm. Well, they just seem they never yeah. seem to look up that far. Yeah. Well, I mean that's a it's a interesting observation. I mean I, I think it's it's probably one that a lot of people would agree with. And you know it, it's I would imagine just trying to picture in my mind, you know, kind of what your woods look like just based off of you know the area around there and stuff and i would imagine when you go up 30 feet you sacrifice some shot angles because you're so high and you've got canopy and i imagine you're, you're talking about thicker hardwoods like we typically get in louisiana sure but you know i mean it, it, that's we've talked about this on the podcast before that you know there's there's a, there's there's one type of person that that picks a spot to hunt hangs a stand or, or whatever their, their, their method of, of, of getting in a tree is. And their idea is to basically prevent anything from getting by them. 
basically they can shoot any and everything within bow range and you know they don't want to have any chance that a deer's going to get by them in bow range and something's going to you know be in the way or whatever and i personally don't subscribe to that theory because you know sometimes you just got to hunt and you got to let the deer do what he does and you've got to sacrifice some of that in order to get like to your point to get high enough or to be in a situation where you can get away with standing up and turning around and moving and, and aiming your bow and drawing your bow, I mean, and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I, I had a friend of mine last week, we hung a stand and he hunted it and he said, man, I, I don't know. I think we might ought to move that stand. Cause you know, there ain't but two spots there where I'm going to be able to shoot. And I said, yeah, but that's, the, that, that's the two spots you're hunting. You know, sure, and you know, and with the lock, the times when we put up a lock on stand, we've also started putting those up at thirty feet. And our only shot that because those are usually over a rice barren pile or, or corn that we scatter out on the ground. We don't use any feeders. If we're gonna put corn out, we scatter it around in a, you know a, mm-hmm. a quarter of an acre spot. We we put it way out, and that way the deer had to walk around and feed on it. You know, and put a, a pile of rice bran where it's kind of where you want him to stand because they'll usually walk up there and eat that first. Yeah, but our 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 setups for that kind of hunting, we never have anything we can shoot except the the, the right where he's going to be standing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's how you can get away with a lot more because they're never going to look up at you because they can't see you anywhere unless they're standing right there. And by the time they get there, they're dead. Yep. I think there's a lot to be said for positioning yourself where you're sacrificing potentially. He might walk right by you and you can't get a shot, but he's not going to detect you. And if you know what you're doing and you pick your spots right, you can, oh, yeah, we, you can get we pick spots. our trees and, and you know if we're trying to find somewhere to feed deer we'll find the general area we want to be in then we'll pick the tree we want and then we'll make everything else work around that tree yeah and yeah. we take and pull trees up to us we'll pull a tree maybe 10 foot away we'll pull the whole top of it over there and tie it to the deer stand just to give us more of a a nest if you will to get in and we can hunt out you know to where they can't really yeah. see well one other question I kind of came to mind as you're telling the story. So, you know, given this area that you you kind of came across and decided it might be a good area to to run into him, how far away was that from from where you felt like he was? Maybe more in the summertime or early season. How much did he move between? He his his home area was ten acres. So that so that was the area where you you knew he was somewhere close in there that's i knew he was close to that because really where those trees fell down from the tornado and then um there's another neighboring property of ours that's got a real big thicket that was you know stuff that was uh cut and never um replanted mm-hmm. you know they just we got some of those kind of cutovers around the house where they never replanted with pine well anywhere you can find those you got to know that that's his bedding area so and that was where we saw the sign and when we put you know, feed in the earlier season, that's where we could really only get him to come where we could get him on a camera on a regular basis, but still no daytime pictures. Yeah. But, you know, that was, that was his, that was his, his, his core areas where he was at. Well, that's cool, man. Well, I, uh, that, that, that's an awesome deer. I, I, you know, I, like I said, you don't, you don't see that kind of score and that kind of frame on, on a lot of Louisiana deer. So y'all's. No, he's got, and, and if everything holds true, he's got less than two inches of deductions. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Y'all's apparently your, your, your management practice is paying off. Hopefully, hopefully that genetic pattern will kind of hold true. And maybe, I mean, it's, it's hard to say you're going to continue to kill 178 inch deer, but you, you could very well be seeing an uptick 
Well, our, our, our genetics, our genetics, genetics on my property go one or two ways. They're either going to be big, tall, pretty, eight or ten point, twelve point, whatever, or they're going to be a five or six point or a four point. We've got four and five points that are eighteen inches wide, nothing, no brow tines, and just a fork on either end. Yeah. But you know that's not something you can tell until they're old enough to. Yeah. To, to call them mature and know that's what they're going to be. Yep. Yep. So I, I think the management practice of <clears throat> not shooting anything till it gets mature is the best one to use if you plan on trying to grow big deer. Yep. Well, it stands It stands the test of time. It's and, you know, you got to have good neighbors. I say this all the time. One of the things I did and have done over the past few years, I've gotten to know all my neighbors. I know them all on a first-name basis. We're all working towards the same goal. You know, we have hiccups every now and then, but we're all, when it's all said and done, we're not trying to, we're all trying to kill bigger deer and, and get to that point. Yeah. Well, that's good too. Yeah, that's definitely because you you are a, a product of of your environment in in every way in that that sense. So for sure, eight hundred acres is a pretty good chunk. You, you're able. To but you know, I say that my da- my dad's got three hundred. It's on one side of the uh, the interstate, and the rest of it's on the other side of the interstate. And the other stuff on the interstate, on the other side of the interstate, we rarely see those deer mix. They don't come across the interstate as much as you'd think they would. Yeah. And, um, so, I mean, it's, we basically hunt 300 acres, Yeah. but still that's a big piece of property. I'm not saying it's not, and it obviously was, it was a good enough place to grow that one. Yeah. Well, that's, a um, uh, it's an awesome deer and it's a really cool story. I'm glad that we were able to, to get you on here to tell the story. Cause it, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it it's so funny. And we, we said, you know, sometimes it's just meant to be, but it more often than not, when you get a deer like that, there is a story behind it. It's very rarely just kind of to chalk, you know, just, well, I climbed up in my stand and everything just went the way. It just never happens that way on big deer. You know, it's always something funny happened. There's always either a backstory or there's something crazy that happened uh, in the moment, you know, that, that kind of puts it all together. And, and I guess that's why we keep coming back for the excitement of those moments. And you never know. Every oh, hunt's for sure. Different. Every hunt's different. For sure. People have told me that's a deer of a lifetime, and I told them, I'm too young to hear that. I hope it's yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 look, well, you know, the way I look at it, and it sounds to me like y'all are y'all are uh, of a similar mindset, is, you know, that, yeah, that deer's got 178 inches of, of horn, and that's uh, 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 an achievement and something that you want to, you, you look for as a hunter. But at the same time, as bow hunters especially, you know, if that deer gets to be four or five years old and he's a, and he's a good buck, if whether he's got 150 inches of horns or 170 inches of horns, he's a trophy, and you got to work. Oh, yeah, hard. I, 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 work last hard year, too. last year I killed a five and a half year old eight points. That's a 120 inch deer, and I was as happy with him as anyone I've ever killed. Yep, and I, I you know, just because he was big and old. That's one of the things that I think people who maybe don't have as much experience hunting in a managed private situation where you're hunting for mature deer you know from the outside looking in it seems to be all about inches and size but it's really not and until you get to that point where you're just committed to killing older deer you don't understand that you don't have to have 170 inches of horns to make you excited i mean yes it's a great thing and we all you know want them to be as big as they can be but you know you broaden your horizons a lot when you're hunting mature deer because to your point of an, an old warrior of a deer that's got 120 130 inches of horns is just as exciting as a a deer that just happens to grow more time length you know because I mean, sure, I mean, it's, 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 
It's the same animal. Every one of them's just as tough to hunt when they get when they get past four and a half yeah. years old. And that's that's I think that's something for people to take away from from your story and the way that you hunt and and this conversation about managing property and hunting for big deer is it's not a I mean yes you're trying to grow horns and all that kind of stuff but the the excitement of of hunting mature deer doesn't it doesn't quit with the deer of a lifetime I mean you're still after that. I'll still be out there. And, I mean, I'm I'm mad right now because my season's basically over. I, I still <laughs> love. To, I still want to go somewhere and hunt. Yeah, I understand <laughs> that. I understand that. But you know, the only reason I was able to go hunting that morning is because the wind was blowing too bad for my crappie trip, and it got canceled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I you guess know, that's I a... talked to the guy the night before, and he's like, well, you know, I don't really want to go because it's going to be windy. I'm like, I understand. We wouldn't be able to go anywhere, so yeah. that's how I ended up hunting that morning. I guess the crappie fishing is pretty good this time of the year, huh? Oh, dude, I got a lot. I've got one of those live scopes. Mm-hmm. It is. It's. It's not. It's not whether or not you're gonna catch any fish anymore. It's how many you're gonna catch. When yeah, you that's awesome, man. Well, I encourage. What? Give us the. Uh, give us the name of your outfit again. Uh, it's Big Sasquatch Outdoors. You got a website? I've got. I've got a Facebook site at this point. I'm gonna get. I'm getting my website developed right now. I'm, I'm about to the point to, to get that going. So if anybody's interested in the trip, they can find me on Facebook. Schedule, schedule one with me. We'll go catch a bunch of fish. Awesome, man. Well, look, I I appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate it, Louisiana Bow Hunter, for you taking the time to come tell your story and, and being a being a bow hunter and, and sharing with us on our community page. No, I ain't bet I won't shoot. I won't shoot another one with a rifle. I don't have any reason to. <laughs> well, well, if if everybody listening, if you haven't, um, and if you're not a member or you haven't looked on on the Louisiana Bow Hunter community facebook group you can see a picture of wesley's deer he posted there and it's certainly an impressive buck and again i i just thank you for taking the time to jump on here and and tell oh, us hey, man I, I appreciate y'all getting a hold of me I, I love telling the story it's it's a good one yeah man well continued success with whatever more hunting you get to do and with your crappie fishing and if you kill another buck maybe we'll tell that story again another day uh we, we'll have another one in the, we'll have another one lined out in the next couple next year or two all right man well you have a good evening and thanks again for your time all right, man. You have a great one. Nice talking to you. You too. Well, we've made it through Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, the biggest holiday sale days of the year. And if you missed out on the big holiday sales at Scree, well, you're in luck because they're continuing to sell off all of the Mountain Stealth pattern gear at 30% through the month of December. We've told you already on the podcast this season about how Scree has decided to discontinue and move on from Mountain Stealth. And they are excited about some new offerings that are coming next year probably be available around the springtime and but for now the mountain self pattern has been very popular a lot of people really like it and we hate to see it go but this is a great opportunity if you're wearing mountain stealth and you're interested in maybe adding some more pieces to your system or replacing some pieces or something before while it's still available now is the time because Obviously, inventory is limited, and they are selling it off, and it's at a deep discount. If you're someone who's been considering performance layering gear and considering Scree, you hear us talking about it all the time. This is a great opportunity to get into it at holiday sale day-like prices throughout the end of the year. And uh, just, again, be on the lookout. There's some exciting new things coming from Scree, and this is a great opportunity to get into the mountain stealth pattern it looks great in the swamp it looks great against tree bark it's a really cool pattern really awesome opportunity to get some before it's gone so check them out at screegear.com that's s-k-r-e screegear.com
we really appreciate Wesley coming on and sharing with us uh, a little bit about his hunting, his style, his management practices, and of course the story of that awesome deer. So just to give you guys a little bit of backstory, um, Kyler obviously wasn't on the interview, so Kyler's going to hear that interview at the same time that all of you just heard it. <laughs> so all I can tell <laughs> you, Kyler. It's all because I got a new phone. Yeah, yeah. I got a new phone, and, it, and I didn't test it out. I just assumed that it's really just a new version of what I had, so I just assumed it was going to work. And it didn't work with the podcast equipment, so we only had one line. But, but um, that just uh, just gives Kyler a reason to to listen back to the podcast. Mm-hmm. So, now, it, it was a good I'll story. It, yeah. it was a good it was a good story on how he took the deer, and he had a lot of uh, interesting information about how they managed their property. So we appreciate him taking his time to come on and share that with us, and appreciate him being a member of the Louisiana Bowhunter community. So um, before we wrap up. I, I think that it is uh, worthwhile that I mention and that we kind of talk a little bit about uh, this thread that I started on the community page earlier this week. And I was just kind of, Kyler and I, we were talking and kind of just brainstorming more or less about some of the things that we might be doing on the podcast uh, in coming weeks and different guests and topics we would we would do and, you know, just our normal uh, lining out of preparation for that and I thought just I was kind of sitting at my desk and I thought let me just post something on there and get some feedback from people so uh, first of all um, I want to say that we really do appreciate how engaged people are um, they're absolutely I, I, I don't know I mean I, I figured uh, we can see the statistics of how many people listen to the podcast so we know that there's people listening obviously um, all three of you and we really appreciate you <laughs> Um, <laughs> so I figured, you know, uh, there, there would be some responses, but I, I really was impressed, um, by how many people show an interest and are interested. And, um, you know, there's a couple things on here that, that are, are really interesting that we do want to get into. We do want to talk, um, some more and we're attempting to get some more like archery professional kind of opinions about kind of coaching and, and shooting form and stuff like that. I know that's something that, a lot of people uh, would be interested in, and we're working towards that. And then um, a lot of the other things that that we hear on here, um, I think you can you can break them up into two categories. For me, this is just me, and then you know I don't know how you feel about it, Gallard, but there's one segment of interest that revolves around kind of stories and like tell us your story, tell us yeah. about your. Uh, your hunts and your success and your failure and you know interesting stories from from hunters in the state and people that we you know uh, share this 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 community with and in the other segment uh, is more tips tactics technique kind of stuff and I, you know I don't know I think that we want to try to do a little bit of, of both what what are what were some of the things that you read in there that kind of stuck out to you as things that we've talked about that we should revisit and things that maybe we haven't really talked about that much that would be good stuff for us to dive into at some point? Well, um, I, I think first, first of all, we should maybe shed some light on how do we find our podcast topic uh, guests and topics to begin with, like so far. And ultimately, um, there's, there's this concept in business and networking called your sphere of influence. 
Um, and your sphere of influence is essentially your network and the people that you have some sort of contact with in a daily, weekly, monthly, or annual basis. Um, it's the people that are within your life in some manner, whether it's a stranger on the internet, whether it's your uncle, whether it's a guy in deer camp, your sphere of influence, um, it can also be used to explain why there's so many goddamn real estate agents in the world and how they all <laughs> survive and make money with there being 17 million of them. Um, it's because everybody has a network. Everybody has a group of people that they know. And um, what's happened with the podcast so far is it started a lot with people that I knew, um, which is like if on season one, it's why you get my friends and the people that I've known on social media for a while that have really great success at hunting out of state and things like that. So the guests that we've gotten so far have been um, kind of like lock in my sphere of influence slash our network plus um, some effort hunting for guests. And the way that usually happens is typically we have a topic that we want to cover and we try and find a guest to fill that topic. Um, and, um, or somebody that is like either an expert or is well versed on it. <clears throat> and, there are some topics that I will be totally forthcoming and admit I don't know anybody to talk about them, which is a big reason why we haven't discussed pine, pine woods hunting yet. Okay. I have never in my life seen slash kill the deer in pine woods ever. That is, I have never hunted there ever. So with that being said, I don't know anybody that ever has. And so um, that is not in my sphere or circle of influence. So I think that's a great topic that we want to cover. But this is where, like, we'll be very humble here and be like, we need your help, guys. If you want to hear about a topic and you have somebody interesting, we love the suggestions. But the only thing that's better than a suggestion is a suggestion plus a contact. You know, hey, I'd really love to hear, like, for example, this is something I personally want to learn more about. I would love to turn it into a podcast episode. When do, when and for how long and what time of year do certain oak trees drop? Okay. I have, I have my own experiences with like white oak early season. They're usually done by early November, but then you get into other parts in North Mississippi and North Louisiana where you have other strands of oak trees that we don't have like Schumard oaks or things that we don't have down South that will drop all the way into January. And then whatever those oak trees are that, that have the football shaped acorns that have stripes on them. I don't even know what they're called, but I know that they drop in December and January. You know, and I know that they are not dropping in October because I've never seen one early season. I would love to interview or be suggested to speak to somebody that is very well versed in that. You know, um, and um, yeah. So, so, uh, so to cover some topics, to answer your question more directly, to cover some of the topics that I really thought were interesting, the piney tree one is one that I want to do. I need suggestions. I do not know anybody because my answer to how to hunt pine trees is corn. It could be the shortest podcast ever. Hey guys, this is Louisiana Bow Hunter Podcast, episode 58. We're covering pine trees today. You're going to want to put out a corn pile. This episode has been brought to you by Relentless Boats. <laughs> you know, like that, <laughs> that's, that's how I would cover hunting pine woods. But, yeah. you know, in trying to find. In trying to find uh, um, uh, uh, some more 
info on that. I talked to David Sims and he was like, oh, if you want to hunt punting woods, then you've got to hunt the in-between. You've got to hunt in between the food plots. You've got to hunt the travel routes that you don't think are travel routes. You've got to hunt the thickets that are hard to get to. And and so like that type of stuff is um, is the type of info I think you guys want to hear. And I don't know anybody that can provide it. And I don't know, Locke might, he might not, but um, if it were something that we could have covered already we would have um and and so the piney woods one is another is a good one um travis links suggested um kind of an an in-depth talk on land management um essentially setting up a property um building an outlet you know roads trails food plots feeders um in and kind of like dissecting it and building it up for success so um I know Travis today texted me and said he's going to try and get us the main biologist for Davis Island, which would be a huge deal. I think that would be cool. Um, I know we could probably find out whoever handles that for Giles Island and track them down. Um, but um, trying to think some other. Some I'll tell other you one that, one that I saw that, that, that stood out to me only because I have a direct response to it. Uh, John Kiddo and um, – mm-hmm. He he asked about uh, I'm, I'm I'm I scrolled right past it and but he asked basically about blood trailing and the do's and don'ts of of post shot and finding a deer and all that kind of stuff and so first of all uh, we I we had a uh, an episode last season with uh, someone from one of the blood tra- I can't, I'm, I've, I Josh I, Cook Josh Cook I seriously apologize for not being able to think of his name because I've talked to him <laughs> numerous times since the podcast. But I would encourage people to go back and listen to that because that was an absolute excellent episode full of really interesting information about not, and it wasn't just about him telling us stories about using a blood dog and how to use a blood dog. He talked a lot about what he's learned about after the shot and, Mm -hmm. you know, wait times and, 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 and all kind of things that don't even have anything to do with the dog that, that are just kind of peripheral information that he's learned and become well-versed on just because he's analyzing and working within these after-the-shot scenarios. So I, there, there's a number of great resources out there that I, you know, I can foresee us doing more on that in the future because there's nothing worse than hunting your butt off and finding yourself in a bad situation with finding the deer that you finally got a shot at and uh, whether you made a bad shot or just something crazy happened and you didn't find the deer as quickly as you thought that that's a that's a that's something that is inevitable but it's also something it's one of those things that we're i would say as bow hunters we're never going to stop trying to close that gap because it's the worst feeling it's worse sure. than missing a deer it's worse than realizing you set up in the wrong tree and if you'd have just not second guess your choice you would have killed that deer because you walked watched him walk by you know another spot or any of these scenarios the worst situation is when you hunt hard whether you're hunting a specific deer on private land or you're just working your butt off to be in the right spot on public land and it all comes together and you make the shot and then you can't find your deer (laughs) you know (laughs) after last year better than anyone that's the worst thing so that's a cool topic that stood out to me um uh, that that's just one that I saw, and then of course the pine thicket thing is something because we have so much pine thicket in Louisiana. We we 
I, I will say to the people, I'm the one that started the thread, so I'll make this just kind of general response to all of you, aside from just saying thanks for being engaged and and um, and commenting and, and offering different things. Um, yes, we do want as much information as you can give us towards something that you'd like to hear, but um, also just know that, um, you know, that's the kind of brainstorming that we need when we talk about, you know, you're talking about that network and that sphere of influence and stuff. These kind of things have, you know, just reading through these 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 topics and this conversation about some of these topics, it gets my brain thinking, and we're definitely looking into some of these things. And, uh, you know, these kind of uh, this kind of interaction. Let me let me see if I can. It expands. It doesn't expand the network, but it makes me look at the network a little bit different. And so I've got ideas just because you made me start thinking about it because you made a comment and I just didn't look at it that way. And now I'm like, I got a couple people that might be great for that topic. And I just yeah. didn't think about it until you kind of forced me to by, by reading it. So, um, yeah, man. Well, so, so, so I'm reading through, I'm reading through them right now, uh, again, trying to, you know, so we don't miss anything. Um, and there's a few topics on here that I don't think are, are necessarily worthy of a, I think a whole episode, um, uh, for example, Brian Chamberlain says, I want to know what Levi Madden does to smoke all these monsters. Can you have him on? That It's simple. Levi has a great smile. He's a very – It's his face my, paint. He, it's his face he, paint. You're wrong. He's his it's face paint, but like his wh- beautiful white smile – is mm. is an accent to his face paint you know it's yeah. like it's like it's a combo deal see how it all goes it, together it's it's that and then you know the mixed kuyu patterns with yeah. the face paint and the smile it's it's the common it's, it's just like man it's you it's you can't really describe it you know it's his it's yeah. his, just his thing um and then uh what's some other ones uh how to sh- how to <laughs> how to how to p- p- <laughs> I can't even read this. How to put a, a headshot on a deer? Okay, we're not going to do that no. one. Look, I want to. Uh, I, I want to give you this. This one here, and it. This might could be an episode down towards the bottom. Uh, some uh, a, a guy named T.J. Scarborough. He says, um, mm-hmm. "How do you, other than boots on the ground, how do you scout a sea of of?" Uh, he put in sameness. sameness. You know, yeah. and, and he he kind of offered the example of huge palmetto flats and hardwood acreage that doesn't change topography a lot so i'm not gonna i I can't answer this and maybe maybe there is a long discussion but let me tell you let me give you something i haven't said since my trip so if you ever get the chance to hunt in oklahoma so i hunted in northern oklahoma right by the kansas border and it is the most surreal strange thing because when we hunt here we just talked about this with your acorn tree uh, thing where you you mentioned how interesting that would be. So when we hunt here in Louisiana or in Mississippi or Alabama, really any of our southern climate or or, or terrain, you have a lot of different types of oak trees, right? A lot of different types of trees in general. You hunt a hardwood forest, whether it's been managed and cut or or it's you know hasn't been cut in forever. There's lots of different types of trees. They you know. So let me you go to Oklahoma and let me tell you something. I hunted an eighteen hundred acre cattle ranch. And there was not but one type of tree on the whole place. And I'm not even kidding. Like, I don't know how to to, to, to better, I, I don't know how to explain this to you. And it seems like not a big deal until you walk around in it and you realize 
you're looking at a 500 acre, let's just say, because it's broken up with some grassy land, you know, and stuff like that. But you're looking at 500 acres, and every tree is exactly the same. You want to talk yeah. about mind boggling? It's yeah. like I'll give you what we did, and and we saw deer, and 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 I mean, as far as seeing deer, we had a good hunt. We just didn't didn't get a get, get a shooter in front of us. But when it comes to that, um, you have to hunt travel routes you have to figure out elevation changes pinches saddles Mm -hmm. draws because you literally can walk 500 yards in one direction and until you reach one of those one of those topography things and it may be way more obvious based off of you know you may be in a spot where you have a lot of elevation change which offers you know a, a very clear view of those travel routes or you may be in a flat area where it doesn't really offer it and you've got to find a drainage or something that breaks it up a little bit but when you walk on like this place in oklahoma like it it really is it's kind of crazy when you when you, you spend all day on a place and you start to realize everything is the same everything is mm-hmm. exactly the same the trees are all within five feet of each other in height they're all they all look exactly the same. The leaves are all turning. Everything is the exact. There's, there's like literally. It's almost like you're in this monotone environment because you have orangish brown turned oak leaves, and then you have tan like sage grass, and that's the only two colors in the whole environment. And you yeah. look at eighteen hundred acres of it. So, I, it, when I read his comment, it made me think about how cool. It's really cool to. It's really cool to see if you've never been there, you've never hunted that that kind of place. It's really cool, but it's also a little bit it's a little bit strange, you know? Yeah. It, it's a little bit strange. And so it well, is an interesting thing to think about. Um one one thing that I've one thing that I've learned is um sometimes sometimes things are not obvious at first, especially the first time or the first season you hunt them. And then you start to see a pattern in deer. Let's say like, let's say you are hunting a, a palmetto flat. Let's just say just for fun, we're hunting the jungle this way. And that, you know, I, I'm not big on naming properties or, or, you know, specific areas, but I'll use it as a hypothetical. Cause I think everybody's familiar with what this way looks like, especially from, I mean, even if it's just from a picture, but you know, how, how do you hunt 2000 acres of palmettos that's got hardwoods in it? And, but those deer are moving through there in some manner and you can't see why you might not be able to understand why. And it might take you 10 hunts in there to see some sort of pattern. And that might be the answer. Maybe the answer is, you know, a lot of Louisiana and the South in general is not well scoutable from the internet. There, you know, like there, we, we don't have the luxury of topo maps giving us very good information. Everything's flat. Um, but I will tell you that I, I was, um, I can't even say who it was, but last season I had my eyes opened by a friend of mine that only hunts public that um, told me about LIDAR maps mm-hmm. and extremely accurate like small change topo maps you know one two three five foot elevation changes versus 10 and 25 foot elevation changes um and 
I asked him, he took me hunting. I asked him why we were hunting this area. Like, hey, you know, why, why, why did we go here? What was your, like, to understand, like, why did we go to this spot? Because we saw deer and we saw hogs. I said, why are they moving through here this way? It all looks the same. And when we got back to camp, he showed me this, um, this LIDAR map that he had, L-I-D-A-R, and it showed very clearly um, a small ridge two feet higher than the rest of the surrounding woods, and it was like four or 500 yards long. And you could not see it in person. You yeah. could, it, like, it was not visible to us. Mm-hmm. But um, things like that are good to hone in on. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, that's that's kind of your two options. If you're looking for a place to hone in on from the internet, look at lidar, look at a couple of different topo maps, and see if there's any type of topograph to- topographical change that can break up the monotony of what I call copy and paste woods, which is, you know, TJ is using this term sameness in quotations. Um, and um, that's hard um, because if you don't have something to hone in on, then you really are just, you're just crossing your fingers and climbing any tree. And, um, and then the other option is um, there's a place that I hunt during the rut that is flooded um, by the time the rut comes around, around the first of the year. And the deer travel, they take a shortcut from one thicket to another, and they walk through a slough. And what's really interesting about that, as I hung a camera in the spot, it's the first time I've ever hung a cell camera in the spot ever. I hung a cell camera in the spot, and I have literally watched this deer, watched these deer in person cut a corner across this slough. Instead of walking around the point of the slough and going into the thicket, they cut 45 degrees off the end of it about 75 yards from the end and they go 45 degrees straight across the slough in a foot and a half of water and it's bone dry right now and and i had in my head these deer must always go this way and when it floods they keep on going this way would you believe that that camera's been there for a week and a half and i do not have a single picture of a deer on it at all Hmm. so Honestly, TJ, who the hell knows, man? Yep, that's who <laughs> you know. knows, man. Well, I, I, yeah, it's so. been it's been we've discussed in previous conversations, and I don't remember exactly when they were, but previous conversations we've we've talked about the the concept, the strategy of observation sits, and I mm-hmm. think that the biggest problem that we have in general as a working class American is we want to try to maximize our time. And we, it's, it's so hard to go make a sit somewhere with the idea that short of really any luck, I'm not expecting to see a deer in bow range. It's hard to commit to going and sitting somewhere and going, I'm really just trying to learn. I do want to see deer, but I'm really not getting in a spot where I think that the deer are necessarily going to pass me in bow range. I'm trying to play the wind and learn something that I cannot learn from a map that I really can't even learn from walking around. I've got to sit and let the woods be still and quiet and see what happens. And yep. it's, look, I understand. You only have so many vacation days. The weekends are only so long. And especially when you get into those times where, hey, I've got a few days to hunt. I'm off work or it's the weekend and the weather's just right. And I hate to waste a hunt going somewhere where I don't ex- at least have a a plan that a deer might come in uh, it's hard to say um, my plan is 
to go sit somewhere and look at deer that I know I can't shoot with this bow. That's a really hard concept to wrap your brain around when you don't get to hunt all the time. But yep. I'm telling you from personal experience, and, and I know of personal experience for a lot of people, it works. It absolutely works, and you have to just kind of accept the fact that whether you like it or not, whether you want to hear it or not, whether it's not always makes for the funnest arrangement, when it comes to killing deer, especially when it comes to killing big deer, it's better to sit at the right spot at the right time for less time than it is to just stay in the woods and play the numbers game. Man, I struggle with that. And I know a lot of people do, and I also know, so before anybody sends me a message or makes a comment, I am not talking down to the person that says, look, man, I want to kill a big deer as much as you do, but I also just like to hunt. And when I get time, I'm going in the woods. Hey, by, by all means, man, if you're hunting legally and ethically, you do you. We're just, I'm just offering some some advice to the specific topic of the challenges of scouting a specific area, how to figure out deer where it's not obvious uh, using you know, some of these other methods, like even boots on the ground. Sometimes it's really hard. And like, to your point, if you're hunting, you're, you're hunting an area that's, that's a palmetto swamp and you can see a long way in there, but you have no idea if this tree is anywhere near where the deer goes. Well, you're going to just have to, you know, I say you're going to have to, a really good idea is just pick a spot that, you know, you can see a long ways and just make a few hunts. And I promise you, you'll learn something. You, yep. you will learn something. It, what you might learn is, I need to go find another area. <laughs> that yeah, might yeah. be what you find. But sometimes that's, you know, when you look at, uh, this is not Louis, necessarily Louisiana. I guess it could be certain parts of Louisiana when you're talking about the open marsh or, or certain uh, <coughs> CRP. But, you know, there's a, a very common strategy that's used by a lot of people up into uh, parts of the Midwest where it's really open terrain, like western Kansas and, wet, I guess, western Nebraska, more western part of the Midwest, um, where people will go and sit for two or three days, and, uh, and you know, they're there for a week, and they spend half of their week sitting on a hedgerow with a pair of binoculars, and they've only got their bow there for obligation because they're watching a, a fence row that's 500 yards away, and they don't want to go in there and do it wrong and blow the deer out of there. So they sit there and watch and watch and watch until they know that they know what they know because they can't get in there and they can't figure it out any other way. And then they go make two hunts and they kill the deer. Yeah. Because well, they know. They watch it with their own two eyes. That's why, That's why you know, the meat chasers, you know, Warren and Thomas are so captivating is they take, they take a weekend off to go to Kansas and they come back with two bucks, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. Um, and, and, and that's, that's why it's so incredible. They're like, yeah, we hunt 45 minutes every day. And that's because we feel like we should probably climb a tree at, at dark or before dark. Well, and, and it's different. What we're saying is, is somewhat different from what they do, but it's not totally different. If you consider the fact that, I mean, yes, they're, they're moving around a lot and they're using a car, but what are they doing? They're observing. They're mm-hmm. not wasting time studying a map, walking all over the place, they're not. They're trying to observe and let their eyes do the scouting for them. And I think that doesn't apply to a pine thicket. It doesn't apply to dense under understory hardwoods and stuff like that. But it, it could it could very well apply to a thousand acres of flat palmetto swamp that you can climb up twenty feet and see five hundred yards down through the woods. 
it could apply to big open hardwoods where you can sit on one ridge and watch three ridge tops and two different draws. You know, it could very well apply to that. And so not only do you, you know, not only is that a possible strategy, but the the thing that I would tell you, as I, as I alluded to earlier, when it comes to big deer, what you are doing by doing that is you're cutting back on the pressure because, you know, how many times have we had that that tale, that story, that that conversation where you walked ten yards too far and you messed the spot up? You know, yeah, you went, mm-hmm. you, you didn't know because you just didn't have enough information, and you went just a little bit too far. You went one ridge too far, and now you were you didn't even know that you were in the right spot. If you had just stopped and hunted that ridge a couple of times and realized, hey, I'm about to walk right into an area I don't need to walk into you may have killed that deer on the third day after you watched him pass, you know, whatever, uh, for two hunts. And, and, and that's something that you would have never seen. All you would have done is just blow the deer out of there. Yeah. So anyway, that's just, uh, we just, we just went way rabbit hole on TJ's topic. So, but, uh, yeah, well, well, the, the, you know, some other topics that there, some other topics that were good. Um, we could have Garrett Ramsey on and he could tell me what Snapchat is and how to use it. Because yeah. um, apparently he's pretty good on there. I don't. I've never had Snapchat. It makes me feel a bit, a bit like a, a boomer. We, we need somebody um, to inform us about TikTok as well, because I don't know anything about TikTok. But apparently that's, <laughs> that's gaining some traction even in the hunting community. Yeah, using rifle season to your advantage, um, Seth. You should check out the um, the second podcast we did with um, Glenn Peterson. Yeah, I think it's called Bow Bow Hunting Rifle Land. We mm-hmm. we covered that. That was a that was a good one. Um, somebody that travels to Louisiana to hunt from another state. That's I would interesting one. I would, yeah. I don't you, know how you it, find it, that person unless they're must, hunting their family property or something. It must be a holiday and they're visiting or something. Um, I don't know. because Louisiana is not a destination state. We're we're export only on hunters. Yeah. Um, but that I, I guess I guess the best way to prepare somebody to hunt. In Louisiana, from out of state, is just like just let them know they're going to be disappointed. <laughs> hey, yeah. hey, guys, I, I know you want to hunt, but like, do not get your hopes well, up. <laughs> I, I will say this, I, you know, in in total, I I think I think you're right, unfortunately, but there's some uniqueness about Louisiana. I would tell somebody that's traveling to Louisiana if they're coming here because hey, I've always really wanted to hunt true swampland. And they want to hunt for the experience of, of of experience a different kind of a different kind of terrain, a different kind of hunt. Louisiana has that. They they mm-hmm. have some very I mean, you go down into the marsh, like below Thibodeau and Homa, that is I don't know how well you'd find a place to hunt, but if you did, that is a deer hunt unlike any other in North America. The only, the closest thing I've seen to that is those Sitka deer hunts in the marshes of Maryland mm-hmm. on the east coast. So that's there's some really unique hunts in in Louisiana. The problem with them is you're getting a whole lot more out of the nature than you are at the actual deer hunt. Sure. <laughs> you know? So uh, yeah, that this that is, would be a tough topic. But you know, here's another one. Here's another one that that's good that I guess maybe we've overlooked. Um, hunting WMAs, do's and don'ts, and common courtesies. I think we could all use a refresher. Yeah, yeah. we should we should we should talk about that one. Yeah. Um, because I had um. Like for example, I had, uh, I think we've all, if you've hunted, if you've hunted public land, you've had somebody walk in on you, and that how that is handled speaks volumes about you and the person. But I, I had a couple of weeks ago, I said, 
um, I was like forced to hunt a southeast wind spot, and I didn't have a spot to hunt on a southeast wind, and I hunted kind of a really easy spot to get to. I had three people walk in on me, and um, the the guy that walked in just before daylight, I shined him off. He stopped, looked at his phone for about thirty seconds. He took a hard right, and I never saw him again. And I was like, man, that's thank you. That was nice. You know, like I, I, that's not an easy thing to do. I might have been somewhere he wanted to be, but at least there was an appreciation for the fact that I was already here, yep. you know. Um, and it wasn't this, oh, you know, like that, that's what I hate is this attitude. Oh, it's everybody's spot. I can, if this isn't your place, I'll, you know, this is public land. I can hunt wherever I want. I'm like, well, neither of us are going to have a good hunt. Yeah. You, you know, you can't, just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do something. That's, you know, you, you can do a lot of things in life. That doesn't mean that you should. That kind of covers the creation of sticks also. Sort of. Um, which is, uh, another topic. There's a topic someone... here. Um, I just want to say, uh, Hunter Hurst asked about, uh, a podcast more about, uh, getting started for, for newcomers. What I would tell you is it, it is a good topic and it is one that is inevitably going to come up in a lot of different type of conversations, but we have done a lot of that kind of talk in the first two seasons of this podcast. Um, so I, I would encourage you if you haven't to, I mean, you got 56 episodes, um, prior and in, in season one and season two, I know that we have talked a lot about newcomers. I know we did one whole segment about like, how should you approach someone at an archery shop? If you want to go in and get a new bow, like not, not to be intimidated by the archery guy, um, and, and how to do that. Um, that kind of thing. So there, there's a lot of good content. If you haven't looked, um, Go check that out, and it's 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 something that I I would like to say that we do understand the importance of it. It's it's a big part of what Louisiana Bowhunter is is keeping people engaged and informing people and being a resource. And we're always going to have those topics interjected into everything that we talk about. And I do think that if you're interested, you can go back and find a a good bit of content on on the newcomer um, kind of conversation, like tips. I think and I, to I think. I think a good way to think about that one too would be, um, and, and maybe maybe we don't think about this because I, you, pretty much anybody that's listening right now, we've all made the commitment to archery in some regard. So I think we've forgotten what it's like to be brand spanking new at it. Um, and... I think maybe a better way that we could approach an episode like that would be here's 10 things that you need to ask your boat, your bow tech or your archery shop. If you're looking to get into it, because um, as much as I love a lot of the bow techs around the state, it is no, not secret. There's no denying that not all of them are fantastic in, in the industry in general. There are some fantastic ones that go above and beyond. And then there's some that scoff when you walk in the door because they have to do something. And I'm, that's, not a, that's not a down on anybody in particular, but it's a reality in archery in general. Not everybody is roses and sunshine when a brand new guy walks into the archery section. And if, if we can arm people with things that they should be asking about or things to look out for or things to um, maybe ask their bow tech uh, as far as like form goes or 
um, as you know, beginner's equipment and a, and a beginner's investment into archery versus somebody that's buying their fifth flagship bow. You know what I mean? Um, just some considerations because uh, it, it's it's kind of like this is not just to preface this. This is this is a realistic thing. I've witnessed it in in person many times. It's kind of the reason why the mechanic is not the guy that helps you at the front desk. A mechanic is really good at fixing your car. A bow tech is fantastic at getting your bow into shooting condition. But sometimes the bow tech is also the customer service rep, and that's not always a great personality match. And because of that, if you are brand new into archery, you don't have any experience and you pretty much know nothing about what you're looking for or what you're liking, then if you know how to approach your Bowtech and approach your archery shop with pre like questions and things to keep in mind or ask them about, you're going to have, you're both going to have a better experience. Yeah. Um, I hope, I hope that isn't taken as me throwing anybody under the bus, you know, um, no, but, but it's, it's a good, it's a, it's a good, uh, it's a good way to approach that topic. It's a good start. Yeah. And then, you know, from so, there you go into a, I think maybe even into a similar, a similar format where you talk about, okay, you've, you're past the bow shop now. Now you're trying to hunt. What are 10 things you should be asking yourself, um, you know, or asking your buddies that you may be hunting with um, to kind of get you off to a good start and, and get you going in the right direction so you're not frustrated with the money you spent and feeling helpless and hopeless. So just yeah. just know that we we do value that topic a lot. We appreciate the input, and it's going to continue to be something that – gets attention on this podcast in different ways so um the other thing i see on here before we we kind of wrap up for time there's a lot of um there's a lot of i see the word biologist quite a bit on here sure yeah and uh so so you guys know we we do plan to have um the uh a couple of different conversations that are in the works um about a couple of different topics including um having our guest back on from the Louisiana Department of Wildlife Fisheries and the deer program, Jonathan Bordelon. Jonathan Bordelon to talk a little bit more about um, what they've seen this year. That'll be later in the year as, as more data comes in. Um, there's some other biology topics that we're aware of. So, so uh, good, good. Uh, um, that, that, those are good comments and just know that that, that is something that we've identified as well. And we are working on, I know people like to hear that kind of stuff because it, it shines a different light because I think we all get tunnel vision um as hunters regardless of what our style is um private public uh, mobile set whatever we get tunnel vision about what we're doing and when you talk to a biologist they shine a whole nother light on just everything like the the animal you're hunting the life that it lives the environment it lives in you start to see things that i, I don't know if i'm making a lot of sense but i know for me I sit there and I start getting these preconceived notions and I start getting these tunnel visions about what I've scouted and what I'm expecting to happen and what my purpose is behind this hunt and this setup. And then a biologist comes in and tells me all this interesting information 
about the deer mm-hmm. and and the deer herd and and the land and how they use and, I, and it starts making me think okay well maybe i was looking at that all wrong so that those things i know are very interesting to people for a lot of different reasons so that's something that we we definitely want to keep doing more of on the speaking of, speaking of biologists there's something i'm going to put this out there just as a curiosity of mine um somehow in the last couple of years um the rut has started to be very popularly described as dependent on photo period. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not denying that, but if, if that's the case, don't like in Louisiana, for example, don't all the deer get the same amount of light during the day. Mm-hmm. I, I feel, I feel like that's a very, be, there's, there are, I, I get where you're going and you know what I mean? There has to be, what what you have to do is you have to take that as the foundation, and then you have to start considering all the other factors. Like well, well, at the same time, like okay, let let's take um, let's go straight north. Let's go Arkansas, Missouri. All right, straight north, um, longitudinally, right above us, gets the same amount of sunlight, the same same amount of moonlight, same amount of everything that we get right here. Same exact time zone, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just I I, I I don't deny it, but I need to understand more about mm-hmm. factors outside of photo period yep. because it's not like it's not like the deer in Southwest Louisiana are responding to a different sun than the uh, than the ones in Northeast Louisiana. Um, and uh, I, I guess maybe that's maybe it's my na- naivete on that, but I have. A hard time just in general accepting very universally um uh universally uh stated facts about an entire population of something mm-hmm. that's something that that but, i well, typically am skeptical it, of when it can when it's factually disproven is all because to your point if you drive straight north from from where we sit to your point the sunrise the sunset the the solunar and everything mm-hmm. is the same based off latitude and longitude and all that but the deer were rutting in the first of november and they don't rut here until december and mm-hmm. so that that right there i mean we've we could we could rabbit hole this to death as to what that means and and the the obvious is and, and 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 all the other different things but what what it comes down to as far as what we're talking about right here and now is that is a fact and it disproves the idea that photo period is is the only factor. And so, yeah, there's absolutely a huge conversation to be had. And, and I think that, you know, herd health and terrain change, you know, what, does, does your deer live in a pine thicket? Does it live in an ag country? And then, of course, obviously, there's a tremendous difference between weather patterns because the deer up north, they shed their antlers earlier. They 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 have their rut earlier. They have harder winters. All of these things factually go against this idea of well, it's just photo period. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Exactly. And so how how do you how do you define all those things and how do you put all those pieces of the puzzle together? That is a really interesting. Um, that is a really interesting topic. I think a lot of people would. Well, two two other topics that we have in the pipeline right now that I'm excited to talk about um, is uh, <laughs> uh, so we came out 
with the um, uh, kind of these facetious, funny shirts, if you will, on um, common misspellings of some popular public land, Tinsaw, Sherburn, and Thistleweight. And, um, you know, for years I've watched people spell Sherburn wrong in ways that are unfathomable. And um, so I took some of the best examples of uh, misspellings and I put them on the back of the shirt and it has the Louisiana Bowhunter logo on the front. And one of the shirts was the Thistleweight shirt. All of a sudden I started selling literally like 15 or 20 shirts over a week's period to all these people with the last name Thistleweight. And I was like, this is interesting. And then about the fourth or fifth order, somebody types this very long note and it says, hey, we love the shirts. We think it's hilarious. People have gotten our name wrong our whole life, blah, blah, blah. Um, my family owns this weight WMA, and we lease it to the state. Um, and so we're all huge fans of this. We think it's hilarious. I'm, I doubt you knew any of this, but we're, we're going to buy a lot of these shirts from you just a heads up. And so I called her, and I was like, I have to know more about your family owning this property. Number one, I had no idea it was not state-owned. I had no clue. I thought that it was, you know, like Sherburn or Tensaw or something like that. And um, it gets leased to Louisiana for $1 a year. And then the state manages it, and we all have access to it. Like, we're granted access to it. And it's because of this Thistleweight family that's owned the property since the very, very early 1900s, like 1910. And um, so I'm We've got that one in the pipeline where we're going to be speaking to um, uh, the father that that is kind of a historian in and of himself, and he's going to be telling us the history of Thistleweight, which I think will be an interesting um, uh, break in our type of content. And then um, another one we have lined up for um, to record next week is kind of um, like the uprising of e-bikes. Which is um, which is something interesting as well, like quiet cats and predator bikes and Rambo bikes and those types of things. So we're gonna be talking to the owner of Predator Bikes, Matt Armstrong, next week, discussing their uprise in popularity, benefits, um, how it's different than a four wheeler, how it can be working worked with in conjunction to a four wheeler, things like that. So um, we've got some cool ones coming down the pipeline, and uh, you know, I guess yeah. in, in short, really appreciate everybody's suggestions. Yep. And um, just hey, keep them coming. Don't wait for us to post something. Um, we yeah. we watch the pages, and you you can get in touch with myself or Kyler or just Louisiana Bowhunter, and 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 we see it. We we do read everything. We do follow along and keep up, and we appreciate the uh, the response that we get to everything. And and uh, just know that we are doing the best we can. We're not trying to ignore any specific comment or any specific suggestion, but like to Kyler's point earlier, we can use all the help we can get. If there's somebody that you know of and you can put us in contact with it, then by all means reach out and uh, throw us an olive branch. We would greatly appreciate that. And um, we have proven for 56 weeks, now 57 weeks, that we are headstrong and we're just going to keep doing this. So y'all might as well support us. <laughs> Can't stop, won't stop. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, we uh, you know, I don't think it's this way anymore. But it, it, the average amount of time that used to take to put a podcast together was about five hours between recording, editing, uploading, um, uploading again when we uploaded the wrong file the first time, um, and 
and so we, we've gotten gotten that down pretty far. Uh, it doesn't take as much time as it used to, but um, like fifty six episodes. That's a it's a lot of it's a lot of conversations. It's a lot of yep. hours. Yep. You know. So, but yeah, we're not giving so, up. We, we enjoy it, and we love we love the feedback y'all give, we, especially when people are like, "Hey, listen to the podcast. I killed this deer because of X thing that I heard from X person." That's really cool. That's that's the main driver. So, yep. um, love it to help y'all out, and uh, it's it's fun. Yep. So. so our um, just a reminder, our shameless reminder: we have all kinds of new Louisiana bow hunter gear for this year. You mentioned Absolutely. you mentioned the uh, the name shirts for the, uh, the 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 misspelled name shirts. Uh, that's kind of a cool. We got hoodies and leather patch hats and some of our traditional favorites and and other things. And so make sure you are uh, visiting one of your retailers around the state or going to Louisiana Bow Hunter and checking those things out. Make great Christmas presents. So. Don't forget to uh, yeah we're, we're we're still filling up um, certain shops around the state a little yeah. a little late this year but um uh it's, it, what's really cool is um Lafayette Shooters has become a huge uh, carrier of our stuff like if you walk into Lafayette Shooters it's like the first thing you see is your rack and um, Joe Menard's been a big supporter of the brand and the merchandise and and is really um, taking us under his, his wing there and it's that's become like our number one store in the state so really appreciate their support but you can get it at all all four corners of the state from new orleans to northeast louisiana to southwest louisiana you, you name it we're probably somewhere within 30 or 40 miles of of wherever you live i think I, I think we have merchandise in 27 stores now maybe um i'd have to recount but um, it's you, you could find it in a gas station in Sorrento all the way to Simmons Sporting Goods and Basher. Yep. You know, um, the smallest to the biggest. So uh, thanks for the support, guys. Yep. And, hey, and, and look, last thing, because we have talked a long time tonight, but last thing, if you have a Louisiana Bowhunter tattoo, you are contractually obligated to send that to us. <laughs> and I promise you that you will be featured, a featured member of the Louisiana Bowhunter community. So that's right. FYI, yeah. we're, we're, we want to see those. So we, anyway, yeah. guys, we have now entertained you or something for almost two hours. So good luck this weekend. I think that we are going to all show up to work Monday morning and see a lot of successful stories and pictures online. I think it's going to be a great weekend. We got good weather. Moon phase looks good. So practice a few times at least and make a plan to hunt because i think you're you're it's going to pay off this weekend i think this is going to be great 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 time to be in the woods in our state so we wish you all the best of luck and thanks so much for the support kyler anything else nope that's it that's enough that's enough We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.